On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Grant Reveal. He is the Director of Identity and Access Management at Micron Technology. We're going to be talking about the business value of identity and access management. I'm going to be talking about moving away from the Department of No, you know, becoming a business enabler, um, introducing more automation, some examples of that, and also how do you demonstrate business value um, and, and how do you take that to business to make it uh, make them aware of the value that you provide on a day-to-day or quarterly or yearly basis. Uh, Grant, thanks for being on the podcast. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, let's start at the top. I always like to, you know, get to get to know what the responsibilities that you have are at Micron and also just the high level of what Micron does so everyone's aware of who you are and uh, where you work. Sure, absolutely. So my responsibility in identity and access management is maintaining the tools and the technologies that you would consider to be uh, part of the identity suite. So it's uh, the provisioning components that go into it is the security tools such as federated services, multi-factor authentication, uh, and and various pieces and parts that that play into those um, delivering those technologies. So Micron itself, um, you know, it's a large uh, chip manufacturer is probably the easiest way to put it. Um, um, a Fortune 125 company, I uh, believe at this point in time, uh, and the fourth largest semiconductor company in the world. So, you know, revenues are over $27 billion in fiscal year 21. Uh, just about anything that that has a chip in it, you know, we would like to say came from one of our, our fabrication facilities. So that's in a nutshell what we do. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, always good to get the context. Um, and I guess the topic for the episode is um, kind of the business value of what you do, right? But obviously, to get there, we got to talk a little bit about uh, the team, the department, um, what you're doing. I guess maybe to to start at the the high level, can you just give us a sense of how big your team is? You know, what 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 areas specifically you're responsible for in identity access? If if there's any other overlaps to other teams or whatnot. So, not to get into the specifics of what we do um, you know, as an organization, but when you think about an identity and access management program, um, it breaks down into three components of people, process, and technology. So, the technology is what you build it off of. So, you're going to have engineering teams that will design, build, and support the platforms that you need. You will have the processes that go around that. It's how you onboard and offboard. It's how you connect into the various systems that are enterprise-wide in your organization. It's how you you interact, not only from the electronic identity perspective, but also the physical security identity. I think that's sometimes overlooked in in this uh, capacity, where it's just as important as your electronic, where you are, what you're doing, and and what you can get into. And um, insider threats, for example, oftentimes can come from a, uh, a failure in the physical security side of the shop. And then the people component, you need to make sure that you have a a wide variety of talent in your organization. So it's like a lot of organizations, you need to have your wrench turners, the engineers, the folks that can really design and build the things. But then you need to have business analysts, you need to have program managers, project managers, all working in concert to deliver the solutions that you're looking to do to enable the business. And a lot of that um, people don't, I think, necessarily think of identity and access management falling within the SDLC, your software development lifecycle, but it really needs to because you're you're building a tool that is consumed by your customers, who in this case are more often than not the business units and the various components of the organization where you work. And so you need to have predictable and um, reliable services that you're laying out for them. 
I, I think, uh, you know, identity access falling within the CLC, that's actually uh, potentially one of the bigger things we could talk about. And maybe we'll come back to that topic um, in, in a minute. I guess when you're, when you're kind of looking at your team and, and kind of the evolution of what you're trying to accomplish, um, not just at Micron, but just in generally uh, wherever you've worked in the past, have you seen, you know, a shift away from that department and no, because obviously security being known as the gatekeeper, the police, you know, that's always been something that's, you know, been prevalent. Or have you seen the shift happening? Are you guys still kind of working through that process of trying to shift the mindset of, we're not here to say, say no, we're here to make us more secure. Right. I think part of that is really about perception and communication. So I, I always tell my teams that we need to effectively communicate and we need to share our successes because if we don't tell our story, nobody else will. And I just think that, you know, from the evolution of IT, there's just that mindset of, oh, it won't work. Well, IT says we can't do this or that we can't do that. So if you're able to open those channels and, and really start a communication and be able to go to the business and Ask them what it is they need. Ask them where their pain points are with, with identity or with security in general. And so that's where I mentioned on the teams earlier, having business analysts and um, other folks who can help you capture those requirements and then bringing that back. And whether you have engineers that are building it or you have uh, programmers and application developers that are helping align to what it is you're looking for, it's really coming across as being cooperative and in partnership, much like if you were um, running a software company and you had a lot of customers. I mean, essentially, it's the same process. We're running a software shop and a hardware shop, and we have customers. It just so happens we all work for the same company. And so I, I've seen a change in the last five years, probably, from my perspective, that there's more enablement. But I believe some of that comes from the fact that board members are now becoming more educated in, in IT and technology and the benefits that you can garner from that. And I, I believe that they don't necessarily just see IT and IS or information security as a, a necessary evil or a, a drain on the bottom line. There, there's ways, and we'll get into this, about how you can actually deliver value from this tower now. And not only does it, it drive security in the organization, it's protecting your intellectual property, it's protecting your brand, um, it's also giving you more, you can do more with less is probably the best way to put it. And I guess just maybe a, a question from that is, I, I think when you look at software teams, um, you know, in terms of software development, I think they have gotten much closer to having that visible business value because I think you know a product is typically not client facing in, in a lot of companies and we're talking generally here and the perception is well that app or that product or you know whatever it is is being seen by others it's being used by others and I think all of a sudden now the business value the dot, dotted lines get connected we go to the cloud it saves us money like you mentioned some of that education is just getting built into the technology ecosphere moving away from that old IT centric view, you know, IT department view of technology. I guess when it comes to, you know, whether it's identity access or security in general, and you mentioned some of that educating and, and promoting, is it just one of those where to begin with security had such a, a different connotation that if, if, if something went wrong, you pointed out security, but when, when things get right, went right, no one well, really talked about security. Yeah, that's a great question, Amir. And I think that's part of it. I think that um, 
people fear change and, and security came in and, you know, folks didn't like the changes we'd be putting in. So whether it was proxy servers and web filtering, oh, now I can't get to my sports website to watch the final four or something like that. And so I think that was, that was part of it. And, um, I think too, it was a lot of, uh, just not understanding what it did or what information security did, or even does today. That's why I think communication is so important to really explain why we're doing what we're doing and using as an educational opportunity to say, Hey, you really need to watch what you're doing here because these, this is the impact. If you don't, we're losing intellectual property to nation states or to overseas competitors, which eventually costs us jobs in our bottom line as well. And um, it's just, I think there's a lot of pieces that go into it, but you're right. It's about the, the communication and the not understanding. And I think too, Amir, something that that's taken time to evolve is security is probably the newest out of the, the, the towers that we have. And so we were sort of thrust into the middle of the, the, the breach, so to speak. And it was like, holy crap, we're losing all our stuff. Now, what do we do? And, and so that's sort of how security was born in, in some form or fashion. And I think a lot of security people came from the technology background and didn't really know how to speak business. So they weren't able to relate the business value and it's taken some time to catch up. And for that, um, you know, security, I think was sometimes pigeonholed and maybe not as respected in the organization as some of the other business units or the IT towers were. Oftentimes it would get lost under uh, a chief financial officer or some off, you know, sometimes it's under the legal department. Sometimes it's, it's in IT. And so really being able to get an equal voice at the table and to show the value has taken time. Yeah, that's actually, I think that the time component, I mean, especially how quickly in the last, you know, decade and change, the cloud has become prevalent. No, no one runs their own, not no one, but a lot of companies don't run their own infrastructure anymore. Things are going to the cloud. People are in process and it's not until you go into the cloud where security is, is it becomes potentially an issue because somebody who is in security savvy might have left something exposed otherwise. And I think that's where, you know, when you're talking about uh, the impact of the bottom line, talking about this stuff earlier, educating board members, you know, some of the business enablement side of, of security, as you're kind of seeing, you mentioned, you know, some of the people who were in early didn't quite understand how to make that pivot from being an infrastructure or like an admin to, hey, I need to speak to business. Um, you have data, product, software, all those you know, towers, departments have those type of people to make those conversations. When you're kind of looking at this from, from your area within identity and access management, when you sit down to talk to business, how much of identity access management is just no clue what you guys do? I just know we need it versus you're starting to see some traction of, hey, I understand what is integral to what you what your team brings. I think we're starting to see some traction, at least from, from my recent experiences. And it boils down to really, again, it's, it's how you have the conversation. So if you go in and start talking in, um, you know, acronyms and, and really heavy security terminologies, you'll see their eyes glass over. But if you go in and talk to them about separation of duties, at least privileged access, and, and really at a core level, what they're doing today, but they're just calling it something different or they're looking at it from a different lens. So being able to find the common ground where you, you share some of the same um, functionality and some of the same needs and asks, then that makes it great. 
you know, you can then then branch out. And it's easier then to say, we have this common ground. Given the sensitivity of the information that you're working with and protecting, we feel like we need to add these additional steps, and here's why. So then it becomes more of a, hey, you're helping me enhance what I already do. And if you're able to do that without having to involve my teams, then that's all the better for me because I can still keep my smart people doing smart people things. I guess, you know, talking about that business value, you know, obviously some of the concepts you just mentioned, you know, having the smart people do the things that they should be focused on and, 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 and not impacting them with some of the technical jargon. When you're sitting down and trying to bring that business value and trying to, you know, dotted line that back to what your team's doing. How do you have that conversation with the business side? Oftentimes it it really revolves around the numbers. At the end of the day, everybody's concerned about the bottom line. And so let's say that you're in a a shop with a high uh, turnover rate. Um, You know, call centers are are famous for having high turnover. So if you look at the onboarding process and if you're bringing in a, a class of new people and if there's manual provisioning processes in place, it could take two days to get the access that they need. So you're now delaying the training time, which delays the time that gets them out on the floor actually talking to customers. So if we can come in and automate that, we're now able to... It, we increase the um, the training experience because those new hires are able to do what they need to the first day they walk into the building. The provisioning process works with a, a predefined set of entitlements that are being put out there. So it reduces the potential for human error. And it, it's, it's a monetary value because now you haven't paid someone to sit in a room for a day and a half or two days where they can't work and they can't train. And you, you can draw the bottom line. If it goes back to what I mentioned before, people process and technology, you're now enabling the people to do what they need to do in, in a shorter period of time. The processes are in place and documented so that that gives you an audit trail to protect yourself. But it also, um, through the automation, you're doing it faster. You know, the technology is what you're building in the background. And if you've done that in conjunction with your HR departments and your training departments and these folks in the, in the business units, then you have a more seamless experience for everyone and your technologies are actually better integrated and they perform better. Yeah, I mean, obviously the bottom, <laughs> the, bo- the bottom line uh, is the bottom line. I mean, that's why we call it that. And, you know, when you're sitting down, you're obviously having these conversations and then you need to you know, interface with technology. When you turn your, you know, turn your purview and go from business to technology to other teams, you know, obviously other people involved in the SDLC, when you're talking to technology counterparts, how, how do you make that pivot so that it doesn't become still, you know, still too technologically deep? Because obviously that's not their world, but yet you have to make sure they are aware of the value and, and what you bring to the table, because it's got to be part of the process. I mean, personally, for me, uh, I like to speak in analogies. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but if you're able to relate that to a um, something that they would understand coming from business school, for example, so you're able to uh, you know, talk in terms of widgets and let's say that... Um, you know, if you have a hundred widgets and they're sitting in a truck and you can't get those widgets into the warehouse because the door is locked and you can't get in, what you know, what is your delay 
in your production, but also what is the delay in just having this part sitting there? So you say it's the same thing. Instead of widgets in a truck, these are new employees coming into the organization. And that door could be um, physical access to allow them to get to the facility where they work, or it could be electronic access that allows them to get to the tools and the technology that they need to do their job. Something like that I've found has been been very beneficial. And it, it, you can oftentimes see the, the, the wheels start to turn a little bit. And so then that generates more questions. And I think the other thing to this, Amir, is coming into it from a a mind frame of educating and not browbeating or or being condescending. It, it's I've been in rooms where people sit down and say, oh, you don't understand security, you're beneath me. And that doesn't help anybody. So it's really about building that partnership from day one and being able to allow them to come to you Give them, you know, to feel secure enough to ask questions. They don't know that they know you're not going to take their head off or, you know, treat them or talk down to them. And so I think that really is a large part of it. Yeah, I I think that, um, you know, going back to, for the most part, security has been viewed as this very much black box, super complicated, super difficult, and they're going to change things for the harder. I don't know. I don't want to say for the worse change it for the harder because i think that's what the view is i think having that safe you know i don't know if it's a safe zone but that comfort i think you mentioned secure enough i think if people potentially have that opportunity the dialogue becomes free flow it's not a contentious hey you're gonna you're going to impose this on me how do i just deal with it versus hey this is how I feel about it, but then it's to your point, putting the educator hat on and explaining how it's going to improve their life. Cause obviously it's there for a reason and it's not just to say no. Right. And the other part of that, Amir, is once you start to build that relationship, then you'll find, and, and I've, I've seen this where I've been, they'll, they'll come to you before they start a process and they'll say, hey, we're looking to make this change. I remember when we spoke a year ago, you talked about how what we were doing could impact our security model. This is what we want to do. Can you help us make it better out of the box? And that's when you know that you've really, you've been successful in what you're doing. And to touch on, you know, you mentioned Obviously, everyone wants to shift left, and you were talking about the SDLC. We're talking about having the business come to you and have you involved even sooner. When you're having that conversation, I guess, from from your team's perspective, the product that you're delivering in the end, how much more enhanced is that by 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 being that being more involved even on the business side of that discussion? Oh, for us, it's it's huge. And it's um you know, it helps us lay out what we need to do to provide that service for our customer. But the other piece is it will show us where we have potential gaps in our service catalog. So we can then begin to build out that technology or those services that our customers need. And if we're following um, you know, a strict SDLC process, we can build that into release notes or get that into a release cycle. And so now we can tell them when it's coming and they can use that then to plan their upgrades, their changes, their modifications. And I guess when you um, are looking at, you know, that that ability to forecast out, and I'm just kind of curious because obviously you're, you're seeing potential things on the team that have to be addressed, building out further capabilities. When you're looking at that and you're kind of looking at your team's current load and obviously you're trying to execute and you're trying to make sure that you know you're delivering as needed. How do you balance your your team's own 
you know, inner workings to kind of bring in some of those future, future looking, you know, you know features or you know, skills or technologies you need versus hunkering down on what has to be done now? It's a balancing act for sure. And you, you always have operations that, that will take precedent to keep things running, but you also need to balance that. You're right. And it's, it's having a, a defined roadmap is very helpful so that, you know, we have 18 months, 24 months, 36 months. This is what we're doing. So you're able then to allocate the time and know how much time you need for X, how much you need for Y and how much you need for Z. And so when that um, conversation comes up and then when the businesses come to you that they need to have work done or they need enhancements done, then you have a predefined work catalog laid out and you can tell them, I can put you in here, but it won't be until you know nine months from now. And if that's not enough, then you need to, um, your leadership needs to be aware and you need to have support from them to engage and say, this is the business case we're trying to solve. It's going to save us $50 million. I would like to move shift left. Just like you said, I want to shift this left, get it in production and get it moving. And these other things we will need to shift right to enable that. And I think, um, again, it comes back to business and being able to have the business analysts on your team and folks who can understand the impact of either doing something, not doing something or delaying something down the road. But it's always going to be a balancing act and it, it, it can sometimes change on a daily basis. Absolutely. And that roadmap, I guess, uh, for you, are, are you responsible for that roadmap or do you actually have a you know, devoted product manager that's that's responsible for that piece? Uh, at this point in time, I'm devoted to the roadmap. That's part of my um, my executive leadership is that, that strategic vision that we bring to the organization. Uh, I've worked in other organizations where I also had that responsibility, but working with a program manager was very helpful. They were able to to flesh things out and to coordinate some of the other things that were coming in from the, the PM organization that, that could help um, make sure that we knew what was happening across the board and vice versa. So there's nothing worse than, than trying to build my stuff in a tower and infrastructure and operations are building their stuff in a tower. And we find out that all three of us have gone out and bought the same thing and we're doing trying to do the same thing with it. And so now we've just tripled the company's cost to deliver a product. I was going to ask you early on, you mentioned if we don't tell our story, no one will. And I'm always curious when, when you have a product that's not directly end user facing how you tell some of those stories. I mean, do you have some examples of how you celebrate those wins on the team, how you tell a story to kind of bring that you know recognition to, to what the team's doing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, going back to my example earlier where you have a call center or you have uh, a manufacturing facility and a lot of those folks are working on an hourly basis. And so password changes, everybody hates to change their password, right? So if you don't have an automated password process, what you can find is those folks may figure out that if they all wait to change their password till the same time, the help desk will be overwhelmed. So they'll get paid to set for two, three, four hours while they're waiting to get through to a help desk person. Whereas if you have automated password resets and you have notifications that go out preemptively to tell them the password is getting ready or it needs to be changed, you have a use case now where you can save the company potentially tens of thousands of dollars in payroll and hundreds of hours of lost productivity basically every 60 or 90 days, depending on when you're you're doing your password change. And and I guess when you want to take that and communicate that out to business to bring your team, you know, celebrate your your team in particular, um, how how do you I, I guess take that? Is that more of a 
you know, do you, do you email that out? Is there like, how do you actually bring that attention? Hey, we did this as, as a team. We saved the company, you know, $70,000 in this, uh, you know, implementation of, of the password change policy. So metrics and reporting are a huge part of my job, and it's a huge part of the the tower as a whole. And so that needs to get reported up to leadership. So, of course, it would go to my boss, and then we get to the the vice president level. And you really want to make sure there's awareness to that. And uh, another component of that 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 I failed to mention is when people are calling the help desk to do a password reset, numbers are amazing and, and data statistics are great. So if I know that it takes a call center associate eight and a half minutes to do a manual password reset, and I'm able to do it in five seconds through an automated process, then I can I can take that basically eight and a half minutes times the average salary of a help desk person. So I know how much we've saved, but then I also know that they would have to bump up their staff by 15, 20 headcount every 60 or 90 days to take the influx of calls that are coming in. But it all simply goes into to metrics and reporting. You build out a dashboard that, that tracks these numbers. You're able to show it in a graphic format with supporting data behind it. And again, it's building credibility. So if you've been with the organization and you start to report on these things and you're able to show where the numbers are coming from and, and tell the story, then you build credibility and your credibility will take you a long way in how you report things. I think it's, you know, as we, you know, the topic uh, for the episode was the business value of identity access management. I, I think the more you start thinking about that business use case that you're looking to solve and the more that's the core tenant of, hey, as a, as a team, that that's our mandate. This is what we're solving. The conversation becomes seemingly a little bit easier to actually justify versus focusing on the technology and and then trying to back into finding you know the right problem to solve. And I think sometimes technology is guilty of trying to find problems to solve. Right, right. And I think something else that goes with that, Amir, that we haven't really touched on yet is the regulatory and compliance piece. There's so much of that today around organizations, whether it's your ISO 27001 or your Sarbanes-Oxley. And a lot of those pieces come back to identity and access. And so if you're able to identify towers in your organization, I think um, ERP systems like um, SAP, for example, has its own GRC module that's built in. So oftentimes you'll find teams that are a part of that SAP group that are handling the provisioning. But how do you know that they're following your identity and access policies and procedures? So it creates a whole nother audit nightmare or sometimes what we'll call shadow IT. They're doing things outside of the main IT. So if you're able to go to that business and say, let me take what you're doing here and automate that work and bring it in. So now all the requests are flowing through a centralized system. All the processes are controlled. Um, the regulatory and compliance pieces are being met. And I'm doing the work that you had five people doing. Now those five people can be reassigned to something else in the organization. So we've now given them a platform to continue to grow and develop while taking something off their plate that that maybe is not their sweet spot or, or what they do well. So we're doing what we do well. We're enabling them to do what they do well. So at the end of the day, we both win. Absolutely. I guess maybe a question to ask you just off of that is, you know, departments have so much access to access to apps, right? SaaS application, do this specific thing, do that. Marketing can do it. Sales can do it. How much of your day is impacted 
<laughs> this might be a really big question, but how much your days impact? Because those those applications come back. Like somebody, you know, two people in the marketing go, hey, this is great. We need this product just to do X. It sounds great. They do it, they use it, but then it's completely outside the purview of, you know, what, what your team has implemented or org-wide. How much of that do you see on a day, you know, day-to-day basis? I think in the larger organizations, you see it, but not as much as you may in the the smaller shops because we have better defined processes. So we have very specific procurement processes in place. We have very specific architecture review boards that that happen before something can be brought into the environment. We have very uh, rigorous monitoring and alerting systems. So if somebody installs something that's not an approved application, there's going to be an alarm bell somewhere and questions will get asked. Whereas the, the smaller organizations, yes, I think you may see that. And so that again comes back to building relationships and the awareness component of these are the bad things that could happen. It's having, um, you know, either brown bag lunches or every so often at an executive round table, you, you find an example from the last quarter that says, Hey, this, this organization did, did a bad thing. And this was the result. And here's the stuff from the front page of the wall street journal where their CEO had to answer to the board about X, Y, or Z that gets a lot of people's attention as well. It goes back to, I think you mentioned, you know, off the start, people, process, technology, obviously what you just described, you know, that that process, the, the procurement, the audit component and bigger shops more defined as you get smaller, it's fragmented, might not be complete. And that's where some of the things that we see out and, you know, in the news starts bubbling up. I was going to ask you, so we've been um, on, on a lot of podcasts recently, I've been asking guests, um, if they have a topic or if they have a question they'd like a future leader to, to answer, was there anything that you potentially like to leave for a future guest to pick up on? Yeah, I think something that would, would follow is a saying that I've had for quite a while is everybody thinks that the cloud is, is nirvana, but I've always looked at cloud as simply you're putting your stuff in somebody else's data center. So I think looking at um, having someone who could come in and possibly talk about what really the cloud is and what does it mean by putting your stuff in the cloud and what does it mean by what are the, you know, the risks and concerns that you need to have around managing your, your shop in a cloud environment or in a hybrid environment. And you still have responsibilities for that data, how you enact those responsibilities are going to be different, but at the end of the day, it's all still the same thing. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, uh, I'll try to see if we find somebody to talk about you know that risk, uh, the risk is managing uh, of that cloud or hybrid because I think you know uh, when you really think about it, it's it's like you mentioned you're putting in somebody else's uh, in a box to to deal with, but not really. Um, and that's that's always a little, little sad reckoning when you don't think about all the other security components there. And especially in the event of a breach, you're still responsible for the data and all the legal ease and the contracts in the world will can't protect you from that. <laughs> Absolutely. Grant, if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, pick your brain on anything you mentioned on the podcast, is, is LinkedIn a good way of getting a hold of you? Is there a preferred way that somebody could do that? Yeah, LinkedIn would be great. Direct message. Um, you know, I try and check it every day and, and keep up with that. And um, you know, if I don't know the answer, I would like to think that there's enough folks in my network that I could share it out and we can certainly um, you know, have a good conversation around whatever it is they'd like to talk about. Brilliant. We'll, we'll make sure to include that. Um, thank you for being on. Thank you for uh, sharing your uh, views and uh, thank you for your time. Absolutely. Mary, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great conversation. Thank you, Grant.
That's it for this episode. Uh, we'll be back again, different guests, different topic. If you do find the episode useful, share it. That's how we've been growing. And I appreciate everyone that does. Um, in terms of topic, I'd love to see if somebody out there uh, can actually uh, you know, talk to Grant's um, question. Uh, someone who can you know, kind of dive in and talk about risks and uh, managing in a cloud or hybrid environment. Love to have you on. So uh, if you know someone or you yourself want to be on, let me know. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Until next time, goodbye.